Well, let's start here. I think the beauty of the gospel is that you're not just saved from something, but you're saved into something. Do you guys agree with that? You're not only just saved from something, but you're also saved into something. You're not only just saved from sin and death, but you're also given a new identity. This is the reality of the Israelites' exodus from Egypt, okay? That they weren't just saved from slavery and captivity, but they were actually being brought into a better way of life. I think for a lot of us, we, we almost have this partial view of the gospel, whether we admit it or not, or whether we recognize it or not, we, we understand Jesus died and resurrected, and that if we believe in him, that we're going to go to heaven, and then that's it. <laughs> and, and I want us to see this because he, yes, he does save us from sin and death, but I think for a lot of us, we're detached from the freedom that he brings here and now. And I think there's a moment as the church where we have to come into the realization, does the gospel actually save people or not? Like, not just like a ticket, get out of ticket, get out of hell ticket, right? But it actually saves, heals, delivers, set frees, and restores people here now. That's what the word salvation, sozo, means in Greek. It doesn't mean don't go to hell. It means save, heal, delivered, restored. And there's a moment as a church where we have to actually realize, wait, this is what we're believing. This is what we're laying our lives down for. This is what we're so radically committed to. This is why we celebrate on a Sunday. This is why we can dance even if we don't feel like dancing. Because the good news of the gospel is that, it, yes, we have eternity, but we have eternity starting now. But Jesus says this is eternity simply to know him, the one he sent. Eternity starts the moment you know Jesus. And I just want to say, if you only believe a partial gospel, it's actually a false gospel. <laughs> because it believes in the cross, but not the resurrection. It believes in the freedom from sins, but it doesn't actually believe in the power of the resurrection, the freedom that it brings. And so today's sermon, I want to talk about the freedom of sonship. Who was here last Sunday? Anyone, anyone come back? Amazing. Last Sunday, we talked about the heart of the Father. And so today, I want to build on uh, last Sunday's message. So let's go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. You guys want to go to Galatians chapter 4? It says this, because you are his, what? Sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Let's say Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Come on. And I just want to clear, clear the air really quick. When scripture refers to us being sons, it's a metaphor for the position of a son. Uh, that in the ancient world, only sons received the family's inheritance. Daughters received no inheritance and they were dependent on their husband or the care of their family. So the revelation given to the biblical authors are saying something very profound, that men and women are equal recipients of the inheritance and authority of their father. So when we see this, because you're his sons, it's not just talking about males, but also the whole entire body of Christ. That when scripture refers to us being a son, again, it's a metaphor for the position of a son. So girls say, I am a son of God. 
Guys, say, I'm the bride of Christ. All right, we're good. All right. It's not awkward anymore. All right, so we see here in Galatians 4, Paul uses this language to contrast being a son from being a slave, which means that there's only these two identities that we operate under. We're either operating under sonship, knowing who our father is, knowing we have an inheritance, knowing we have confidence and access before him, or we operate like a slave who's just trying to survive and has no inheritance and is is just living based on their work. And this was the journey of the Israelites, that they were freed from Egypt, but who knows, Egypt was still in them for generations. That for generations, their their lineage was held in captivity in Egypt. Grandma was a slave. Grandpa was a slave. Mom and dad, they they, they, they labored every day. I labored every day. For generations, this was all that was ingrained into their minds and their beings. And so when, when they were led out of Egypt, right, the exodus, that they were out of captivity, but still their hearts were not renewed. And so we see generations continue to disobey. Generations continue to walk away and to strive because they don't know how to be dependent. They only know how to be independent, how to take care of themselves, how to just just stay alive. And we see this journey in the struggle of the Israelites. They only knew how to survive and be independent, only knew how to work. And guys, this is the same journey we go on when we walk with Jesus. And when we say yes, your sins have been forgiven, you've been crucified with Christ, but who knows that your mind still has to get renewed. This is what sanctification means. Allowing our minds to be renewed to the fact that we are now sons and daughters. Jack Frost, not the the poet, uh, but the author, he says this amazing quote. He says, remember, if you believe a lie long enough, it will become a truth to you. You can just close the sermon right there and go home. If you believe a lie long enough, it will become truth to you. Now, as it becomes your reality, you are faced with life choices that can lead you into a lifestyle of sin and disobedience. Sin left unrepented creates a place of darkness in your lives, in your mind, and worst of all, finds its place into your hearts, causing you to respond to your pain by either hurting others or refusing to allow others access to your heart. I say this a lot, that if truth can set you free, then lies can keep you bound. And so this is the freedom that comes with understanding your sonship, understanding that you're a son and you're a daughter of God, that in that place, you realize your mind becomes renewed to now what is true about who you are. And so let's go to Luke chapter 15, verse 21 to 31. Now, this is a story of the lost son. We, we read this, some of this last week. We're going to continue reading in verse 21. You guys know the story? You guys know the story of the lost son, the prodigal son? That this son goes to his father, tells his father, give me my inheritance, which is pretty much saying, dad, I want you to drop dead. Give me my money. He does that. He squanders it on prostitutes. He wastes all his money. He gets to a place where he has nothing and he's sleeping with pigs and eating with pigs. And he has this realization, wait, my father is so good. If I go home and repent, I'll at least be a servant in his house. So he goes to his father and this is where we pick up in verse 21. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy being called your what? Your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Let's take a pause there. The son goes to him because he made all these mistakes. He says, I'm not worthy of being your son anymore. And what does the father do? The opposite. He puts a robe on him, which represents righteousness, that you have right standing with me. He puts a ring on his finger, which represents sonship and authority. He puts sandals on his feet that represents purity. Come on. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son. Okay, he doesn't call him a servant. He continues to call him a son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son in the field, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been what? Slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. It's so important, verse 31. He says this, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And what's so crazy when you read the beginning of the story, when the prodigal son received his inheritance, the older brother also received his inheritance. It said it was divided between the two of them. And if you know the culture at this time, firstborn sons received a greater inheritance. And so knowing this context, the older son also received his inheritance, also had a greater inheritance. Yet when his, old, his younger brother came home after his mistakes, he judged his younger brother, he condemned his younger brother, and he did not want to participate. That his heart was so jaded. And what's interesting is that this is the story of the lost son. But as you guys know, the story, the prodigal isn't lost anymore. What the older brother is. That in verse 29, he shows this. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you. Who knows sons don't have to slave. I was slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He, this, the, he said this because his identity was placed in what he did for his father, not how the father sees him. That his identity was placed in how, how many times he led worship, how, how, how many chairs he stacked, how many people he served, how many people he led to the Lord. His identity was placed in what he was doing for the father that he missed the father in the midst of it. And how often do we do this, guys? We're in the Father's house. We're saved. We have access. We have proximity. But we've placed our identity in what we do rather than what he says we are. And so when what we do fails, our identity fails. When what we do falls short, we fall short. But who knows the beauty is that God doesn't change. And if God doesn't change, then how he sees you doesn't change. 
that he sees you the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the beauty of the Father's heart. And he says this in verse 31, everything I have has always been yours. That the older brother was so jaded because his identity was misplaced. And he has this moment, he, he tells his dad, you never, you never threw a party for me, you never gave me a goat. But the father says, did you not know you had access this whole time? You didn't have to strive to get my affection. You didn't have to worship passionately for me to see you. Does anyone in the room feel called to vocational ministry? Or maybe you are in vocational ministry. Yeah. Guys, you have to get this down. Especially if you're leading people and you're leading people's hearts. Because who knows when, when you're given authority, <laughs> if your heart is not in the wrong place or in the right place, you're going to hurt a lot of people. If your heart isn't secure in what God says about you, then your ministry is going to affect if you're secure or not. And this is why we've seen so much church hurt and so many uh, pastors and leaders abuse people is because they found their identity in ministry, not in Jesus. And we need to get this. Your identity is not based on what you do. It's based on who he says you are. Yeah. But I love this story because when you read it, it's, it's so rich. Like the theology in this is so rich that even when he messed up, what did the father do? He ran to him. He didn't even have time to clean himself up. He just ran to him. He clothed him. He embraced him. He kissed him. He celebrated him. That what would your life and walk with Jesus actually look like if you believe that? That when you mess up in sin, he isn't standing condemning you and telling you to go fix yourself and then come back. And a lot of us don't believe that or we don't think we believe that, but we act like that. That when we make mistakes and we sin or we, 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 we don't, don't fully walk into what we're called to, what happens is because of shame and guilt and condemnation, we distance ourselves even further from the person that's going to give us healing. Then in John 14, 18, Jesus says this, telling his disciples that he's going to leave. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So a lot of us, I think we, we, we live in this place because we've placed our identity in other things that we operate as orphans. But the beauty that the death and resurrection caused our sinful nature to be crucified with Christ and he gave us a new identity through his resurrection as sons and daughters. That this is the transformation that we receive. That Jesus says you no longer have to identify with anything else that doesn't align with his life in you. That you no longer have to identify with anything else that isn't what God says about you. <laughs> and a lot of times when we create identities and we put our weight into identities that God isn't given us, what we do is we create an idol. And we worship this identity. We worship this calling. We, we worship this thing that we're attaching ourselves to. But God's saying, no, <laughs> Look at how I actually see you. Truth is what will set you free. And so I want to just contrast for a second the identity of a son versus the identity of an orphan. 
I made a chart for you guys. You guys like charts? I'm going to contrast this. The identity of a son, this is a heart check, by the way, even for me, okay? The identity of a son lives from the father's acceptance, whereas the identity of an orphan lives for acceptance and approval from other people. The identity of a son is quick to forgive and is secure, whereas the identity of an orphan is easily offended and insecure. Oftentimes, offense is rooted in insecurity. The identity of a son is led by the Spirit because they're born from the Spirit, whereas the identity of an orphan is led by flesh and emotions. The identity of a son feels that God's presence is intimate and knows God's close, whereas the identity of an orphan feels that God's presence is distance, is distant. The identity of a son serves from overflow, whereas the identity of an orphan serves out of striving. The identity of a son is dependent on God, whereas the identity of an orphan doesn't rely on God. In Galatians 3.26, Paul says this, So in Christ, you are all children of God through what? Through faith. That through faith, you've received this new identity. And who knows that the word faith simply means to put all of your weight onto something, to put all of your dependency on something, that if you want to learn how to be a son and how to be a daughter, you have to learn how to be dependent. That this was literally the struggle of the Israelites. They had no clue how to be dependent. They didn't know how to trust They didn't know how to rely on God. Because when you are dependent, guys, you know how to receive. But if you ever just look at a child, you know (laughs) that we're literally born to be dependent, right? Like a baby can't do nothing for themselves. Got to clean them, got to feed them, got to hold them, got to do everything. That we as human beings are literally created from this place to show us we are created for dependency. Romans 8, Paul wraps all this and, and concludes this. He says, your spirit, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. That you are no longer a slave so that you have to live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Guys, that God didn't just have you, he chose you. (laughs) He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. And by him, we cry out, Abba, Father, right? Which means Papa. Like, God didn't have to include this. I want us to take a moment to realize this. God didn't have to reveal this to us. He could have just left it at Lord and we would have been good. He could have just left it at Savior and that would have been enough. But God says, no, I want you to know me the way that I want you to know me. And that's not just as Father, but it's as Papa. It it denotes, right? It, It gives a connotation of intimacy. Like how powerful that God wants to reveal himself to you in that way. That I don't want you just to know me at a distance. That's what the Israelites did. 
Moses, you go up to the mountain. We'll stay down here. He doesn't want you to know him from a distance. He wants you to come close and to know him as Abba. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, that if you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is constantly trying to remind you that you are children, that when you're striving, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, stop. When you're trying to do things in your own efforts, and your own strengths, the Holy Spirit says, hey, remember, you're a child. If he clothes the lilies and feeds the sparrows, you can trust him. In verse 17, Paul says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If you actually get that, it'll blow your mind. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That we are no longer slaves and orphans, we're sons and daughters who are co-heirs with Christ. And what that means, what is Jesus's is also ours. That just sink in. <laughs> That the right standing that Jesus has with the Father, you have as well. That the, the intimacy and connection that Jesus has with the Father, you can have as well. First John says this radical verse. You can look this up. It says, as he is, so are you in this world. As Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, so are you in this world. As Jesus knows God intimately, so can you in this world that we are co-heirs with Christ. And so when we live from this reality, our identity as sons and daughters is what brings true freedom. I love this quote. It says this, sonship is a heart that feels at rest and secure in God's love. Let's pause there. How many of our problems would just be solved in that alone? That your heart, imagine if your heart found rest and security in God's love. Like how many insecurities would just break off? How many anxieties would just break off? How much more free would your life look if that was actually true? That it believes it belongs. It's free from shame and self-condemnation. It walks in honor toward all people and is willing to humble itself before man and God. It's subject to God's mission to experience his love and to give it away. So good. I'll share this story as we close. Um, I had a friend a couple years ago when Breakthrough was still in the basement where house church a couple years ago. And uh, this friend, he came from like a very intense Baptist seminary and he came to Lynchburg moved to, to Lynchburg, random connection. We got connected through like a friend of a friend, like, hey, you guys should connect. I came really close with this guy. This guy was an intense, amazing, incredible evangelist. Like everywhere he would go, he was telling people about Jesus, telling people how much God loved them. People were getting saved. Like this person had an incredible evangelistic gifting on his life. But as we continue to just talk and, and do ministry together, obviously, you know, Breakthrough is pretty rambunctious then as it is now, right? And he came from this background. And we always came to this place where he never believed that he was enough for God. And so all of the things that he would do, he would tell people about Jesus, was because he felt that he needed God to be pleasing him by what he did. The more people that he got saved, the more people he told about Jesus, the more that God liked him. 
And this seems like kind of like an intense thing, but I think for a lot of us, we can relate to that. Man, if, if I'm not doing enough, then God isn't pleased with me. Man, if I'm not reading my Bible enough, then God isn't pleased with me. And this was an ongoing struggle. And I remember this moment, we had like a worship night, and, and I was just praying over him. And he was just in this place, man, where his heart was just so broken. He just, he couldn't receive God's love. Like, he, he literally lived like a servant. And I remember this moment, I was praying over him, I was laying hands and praying over him. And, and I was like, man, I just, just believe the Lord is just saying that before anything else, you're first a son. Before being a servant, before being an evangelist, you are first a son. That's who you are. And he had this radical encounter where he literally felt God put a crown on his head. He felt God's hand rest on his head and literally something broke off of him. And he received that identity as a son. And I just believe, guys, that, that this isn't like a, a, a knowledge. This is, this is theological knowledge. But this isn't just like a head thing. Like, this is an, an encounter that every single one of us has to have. If you feel like you still operate as an orphan or operate as a slave, that you have to have this encounter where you're, you realize, wait, God is actually not like what Egypt told me God was like. God is not like what my parents who failed to reveal him is actually like. I, I need to actually come into contact with Abba. <laughs> not high priest God, but Abba. And in Hebrews 4.16, it says this, let us approach God's throne of what? Judgment? No. Punishment? No. Of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The worship team, you guys can come up. This is my desire for you guys this morning, that you would leave this place with a newfound confidence before God. That every single one of you, if you've received Jesus, you've received sonship. That you are a, a, a daughter, you are a son before God. And he says, at any moment, you can have confidence to approach me. I had a friend growing up, he only referred to his parents as sir and ma'am. Like religiously, he's like, yes, sir. He's like a, like a robot. And I was like, this is so weird. <laughs> and, and, and we don't say that, but I feel like we have that relational dynamic with God. We're like, Lord, Savior, High Priest, please help me. It's like, just, you have confidence. <laughs> if you've been bought by the blood, you have confidence. That God doesn't buy cheap things. He buys valuable things. I say this a lot, but the price of something determines its value. That Jesus maybe could have just dropped one blood and it would have been enough. He's the creator of the universe. But he wanted to demonstrate your value. The cross is an eternal picture of your value. That when you see the cross, you say, wait, God sees me as worth paying everything, emptying out his full self for me. That's the price that he sees you worth being, is his full self. And guys, when you get this, 
when you get this, doesn't matter if, if you're in your 50s or 60s or, or you're 18 years old in this room, when you get this, it will shift everything. That I don't have to strive anymore. I get to do ministry from overflow. I get to do ministry out of connection with my Father. I don't want every single person in this room to come into contact with Abba. And so let's just stand. Can we do that? Let's stand.